0: Hello and welcome to Afroqueer. I'm your host, Sally Chum. A lot of the world has just celebrated Pride, the annual celebrations marked by weeks of festivities by LGBT people. Well, here on the African continent, Prides are slowly starting to pop up in different countries, including Eswatini, the country formerly known as Swaziland, celebrating their first Pride this past June. South Africa, unlike most of the continent, has been celebrating pride for over 25 years. In this episode of Afroqueer, we have a story about Africa's oldest pride in Johannesburg, South Africa. Reporter Ida Haile Nambi has the story.
1: Okay, let me play you this YouTube video. What you're about to hear is the moment that around 20 mostly black and queer protesters confront the thousands marching in Johannesburg Pride back in 2012. We're
2: queer! We're queer! We're queer! We're all queer! We're queer, we're we're queer. I'm queer, we're queer. You.
1: So the idea was that these protesters, there were about 30 of them, would set up along the Johannesburg Pride route. And when the parade reached them, they would ask for one minute of silence to commemorate the rape and murder of predominantly black lesbians in townships.
3: We had leaflets explaining what our critique is of Johannesburg Pride um, and what our demands were. That is Kwezilomusu
1: Mbandazayo. She's a queer feminist activist and a member of the One in Nine campaign, a feminist collective. She was part of the disruptions on that day. In the beginning of the footage, you can see Quesi and her fellow disruptors. They're all wearing purple shirts and they have two massive banners. One reads, no cause for celebration and the other one dying for justice. They're in the middle of the road. Some of them are standing, fists raised. The rest are lying down. They're on the ground blocking the route with their bodies. And you can see the parade coming closer and closer, escorted by a number of cars and motorbikes.
3: You know, as we were lying down, um as they were oncoming. I remember distinctly one of the, one of the paraders was parading with his dog and then took a dog biscuit and threw it next to one of our heads. Now, if you can appreciate the the relationship that black South Africans have with the use of dogs in kind of entrenching violence, um, that was quite a a painful and traumatic moment for me to say, you know, in 2012, South Africa, someone can do this. Um, And I guess in their head, it's in jest, but in their head, it's also about saying, you need to remember who you are and what the relationship of power is here.
1: When I saw the footage of the 2012 Pride, I was horrified. I had always held South Africa up as this country with the most progressive gay laws on the African continent. I had imagined that their pride would be more inclusive. So I wanted to talk to someone who could fill me in on what had led to this moment in 2012 and what happened afterwards.
2: (laughs) Hello, Ada. Hi, hi, Bev. How are you?
1: Bev Dietze is an LGBT activist and filmmaker. Bev was 17 years old when Johannesburg held its first Pride march in 1990, She was the only black woman to give a speech that year.
3: The significance is that we are proud of who we are, and we want to show the world that we're proud, therefore. South Africa
1: was at a crossroads. 1990 was the year that Nelson Mandela was freed after 27 years in prison.
2: A rainbow nation at peace with itself and the world.
1: The ANC, the political party that he led, was finally allowed to exist, having been banned for the past 30 years.
2: The ANC is getting into negotiations with the apartheid government and obviously one of the things that they'll be discussing is the constitution and human rights for all.
0: Activists
1: like Bev believe that the lesbian and gay community needed to be visible and cohesive so that when the new constitution was written, it would be gay-friendly. They wanted the people writing that constitution to see them and to include them. The time was now.
2: Everything about it felt right. It was like the ball was rolling rock fast, hey? like it was downhill and just, and it just went, the snowball.
1: There's an iconic photo of Bev on the day. She has on a patched up denim jacket, a cool 90s style afro, and a red headband. She's speaking into a red and white megaphone. At the beginning of the march, there weren't that many of them, maybe only 80 people.
2: And then we started marching, and then it, the rain, kind of just a slight drizzle. I will never forget that feeling, the euphoria of that feeling, the, oh my God feeling. It really, that level of coming out, I don't think can be matched because you knew that this was historical.
1: Bev and her fellow activists had plotted a route that started in the inner city and ended in Parktown. They had rainbow helium balloons, homemade signs. It was simple and to the point. Along the route, more and more people ended up joining. Wow.
2: You know, to end up being between eight and 900 by the time we got to the park, tells you absolutely everything, you know? It's like the timing was perfect. Everything about it was perfect. But also you, you, you looked around and the mix of race, and and all across the spectrum of gender and identity amazing it was amazing we were seeing a brand new harassment free freedom you know we were seeing and feeling this new thing that we've never felt before and so everyone was equal and everyone was we were seeing each other anew, you know. And of course that went all too. And I use the word shit.
1: Before we get to that, in 1996, the most liberal and LGBT-friendly constitution in the world at that time was adopted in South Africa. All this work that the LGBT community had done looked like it was finally paying off. But that didn't mean that everyone just magically accepted gay people throughout South Africa. Of course it didn't queer South Africans still faced discrimination. There were growing cases of rape and murder of black lesbian women in townships and lower income areas. In short, there was still a lot to protest and advocate for. And yet, by the late 1990s, the annual Lesbian and Gay Pride March had been renamed the Gay and Lesbian Pride Parade.
2: Wait, are you changing March to Parade? Because you feel there's nothing too much for. So now we're just parading ourselves because we're free, but not all of us are free.
1: This is the heart of the issue. What is Pride? Is it a protest? Or is it a parade? Is Pride an inclusive political protest and a space to agitate for change? Or is it a moment to freely express who you are through costume, makeup, and celebration with community? And can it ever really be both? For Bev, she began to see the radical politics of 1990 Pride disintegrate, and in its place was organising centred on the wants and needs of wealthy gay white men.
2: Audre Lorde said, the thing about white gay men is that we're not fighting for the same things. While we are fighting to change the status quo, they're fighting to belong to it. And so when pride then moved from inner city, when pride changed from march to parade, because now we are free. We have nothing to fight for anymore. Now you belong to the status quo. White, right-handed, able-bodied, male. And queer now belongs. Just got so angry. But obviously I'm speaking in a vacuum. I'm being told I'm being divisive. I'm being told, come on, we're free, men. We're free.
1: So what had changed? According to Bev, while invitations were extended to all members of the LGBT community to be part of planning sessions for Pride, the times and locations of the meetings ensured those who lived in poor black neighborhoods found it difficult to
2: attend then there was no ubers taxis meter taxis if you're living in a township even though the apartheid laws that prohibit you from being in the cities and in the suburbs were not there anymore transport still wasn't
1: without people to advocate for inner city venues and routes for pride activities the routes progressively changed becoming more and more suburban and harder to access from certain parts of the city
2: what's the point of marching in a place that has high walls and ending in a place that is nicely walled. Because the point of that first pride was visibility. And visibility meant taking our bodies to the streets, to spaces that need to see us. And so that we are seen, so we are facilitating a conversation.
1: So this brings us to 2012, the video we heard earlier. Those protesters were trying to facilitate a conversation with the larger queer community.
2: In 2012, the idea was, you know, come on, a moment of silence won't hurt anybody. You are creating an awareness that while we celebrate, others can't.
1: In the aftermath of 2012, the Johannesburg Pride Committee resigned. The protest had attracted media attention
3: Protesters feel Pride should be a platform to highlight violence against the LGBTIA community.
1: Footage of Pride organiser Tania Harford brawling with the demonstrators did not look good.
4: I went in there to try and get them to move because it was an illegal, an illegal um, gathering there. I was told that um, Pride is too white, that uh, Pride should not be held in, in Rosebank.
1: A new Pride committee was born. Hi, Kay. Hi. How are you? This is Kay Ali.
4: The evolution of Johannesburg Pride in the last five years has been something I am quite proud of.
1: Kay took over the leadership of Johannesburg Pride, and Pride did change, but not in the way Bev or Kwezi wanted it to. Under her leadership, Johannesburg Pride now takes place in Melrose Arch, which is a mall complex in Santon, a wealthy Johannesburg suburb. I asked Kerry Shelver another 2012 protester, if the move to Melrose Arch had helped?
2: <laughs> you know, it's actually perfect because sometimes what we need is we need things to be and to appear as they truly are. And in some ways, the gay parade being in, in, in Melrose Arch is, is, is synergist with the political intent of it, which is, which is a capitalist commercial uh, a pride for the elite. And then where better can it be suited but to Melrose Arch? Kay
1: knew not everybody would be happy with this move. She knew what it looked like. But for Kay, Melrose Arch made sense.
4: It has a very European feel to it. So it's a very secure complex. It, it's a mall, but it's not a mall. So it, it's not a concrete bulk building that, you know, you you in you actually in the streets, cobblestone, paved streets, uh Secure.
1: Kay has increased attendance and secured high-profile sponsorships. She's business savvy and she says she's responding to the needs and wants of millennial attendees.
4: In terms of where we are, it is difficult to explain to the youth or the younger generation um, the ties between activism, the LGBT community, politics and pride.
1: Last year, 40,000 people attended Pride in Melrose Arch. It was the largest turnout for Johannesburg Pride since it began. But still, many people chose to attend alternative marches. The People's Pride was formed in 2012 as a reaction to the disruption and its aftermath. Kwesi, who you heard from at the start, was one of the founders of People's Pride.
3: So from the protest, we have a number of discussions and conversations and dialogues. Um, Part of what we're thinking through is, do um, do we insist on the transformation of Pride as it exists? Do we put our weight behind strengthening the the other prides that have already been going on? So, for example, Soweto Pride had been going on for a number of years, a pride in the east of Johannesburg, so in the East Rand. Um, Ekuruleni Pride had been going on for a number of years. And we decided on a strategy where we said, look, we definitely strengthen um, these prides that do look and feel more like us, but we also have an alternative space in the city of Johannesburg that contests the politics of Johannesburg Pride. So I asked Kay, I put Kwezi's critique to her. Accusations
1: have been that Johannesburg Pride, some people have called Johannesburg Pride a white pride, Um, and I wondered how you might respond to those people
4: the most important things for holding Pride for me is to make sure that I can guarantee in, not guarantee hundred percent, but in my subconscious when planning the event, I look at the venue and say, people will be safe coming here. The second thing is that when people say to me, Janusburg Pride is white, firstly, um, there isn't anyone white on the board, um, but that's not relevant. I then asked them to please go to our Facebook page or Instagram or Twitter and have a look at the photo galleries. There's nothing white about Jalbert pride. What it has become in the last three years is the largest pride on the African continent, but also the most diverse pride in Africa.
1: But for Bev Deetsy, a diversity of faces does not stop it from being white pride.
2: But you know, do you know that there was more black people at this pride than there ever was? So it is not white pride, no. in, in its philosophy it is white pride, babe. In its essence, it is white white pride parade
1: Do you um do you? St- feel now that pride is still a valid or a useful <clears throat> mode of protest or activism or public engagement the way it made a lot of sense the very first time?
2: Yeah, too. do. When done right. You know? Look, ultimately, pride and the existence of pride is a continuation of a defiance. And it's, it's, a, it's some people's first coming out. It's some people's first sense of okayness. It's some people's first sense of community.
0: This episode was reported by Ida Hali Nambi and produced by me, Sally Chum, Ida Hali Nambi, and Mae Francis. Technical support by Rachel Wamoto. Special thanks to Dashan Moodley and the Gala Archives. Afroqueer is produced by None on Record with support from the British Council. Our theme song, Power, is by Maya in the Big Sky. Follow Afroqueer Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I'm your host, Ellie Chum. Join us next week for more stories from queer Africa.